Today on Blue 58, the Packers took out the Lions in convincing fashion on Thanksgiving, and suddenly we're having very different conversations about this team. Who are they? What are they? And what can they still be this year? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for a Black Friday edition of Blue 58. Recapping a Packers win over the Detroit Lions. The Packers beat the Lions, and not only did they beat the Lions, they beat them convincingly. And they beat them with a fast start and a pretty strong finish, which is something we really haven't seen much from the Packers so far this year. And not only did they beat them, they beat them on national television, which seems to count for something in the way these conversations about teams go. Not only did they beat them, they beat them on a short week, and not only did they beat them, but they beat them with one of the most shorthanded rosters I can really ever remember seeing. If you're looking for quality wins, I think we've found one this week for the Packers. Looking broadly at how the season has gone, you can explain away a lot of what the Packers have done well previously. They beat the Bears in week one, while the Bears are really bad. They beat the Saints, well, Derek Carr got hurt just into the second half. They beat the Rams, but Matthew Stafford was hurt. They beat the Chargers, but the Chargers got in their own way in just about every way you can imagine. Dropping passes, fumbling the football, just playing bad. But this one feels different, I think. Yes, the Lions made their share of mistakes. Jared Goff seemed... I don't know, personally committed to rewriting the narrative that has emerged about him the last couple of years since he's arrived in Detroit. He's had a career renaissance of sorts. He's looked like a a competent quarterback. He's looked like a guy who can win you games. And on Thursday, he comes out and seems to be going out of his way to play as badly in a nationally televised game as he can for a Lions team that has been as competitive as any team in the NFC so far this year. That is the team the Packers beat one of the better teams in the NFC so far this season, and they did it on a big stage by setting the terms of the game themselves. I think this one was a well-timed one for what we've been talking about on the podcast because we talked about how you beat a team like the Lions in the kind of context of how teams have tried to beat the Packers over the years basically through the Aaron Rodgers era. With Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, you know the Packers are going to play a certain kind of football. So you either have to build your team in a way to counter that or get really good at the things that you want to do well. Looking at this game in that sort of perspective, we had to talk about the things that the Lions wanted to do. They want to run the ball, be a physical team. The Packers are not built to be that kind of team right now. So what was left for the Packers to do? just to be the best version of themselves that they could be. And I think they were that on Thursday. No caveats really necessary on this one. Just a win, start to finish. They started strong, moved the ball down down the field, and finished off the lines about as well as they could. 29 points is pretty darn good. You got a good game from Jordan Love, you got a good game from the receiving core, and you got a great game from Rashawn Gary. When was the last time we really had a Packers game like that? Not counting the Bears beatdown in week one, because a week one game, nobody knows who they are. The Bears certainly didn't know who they were in week one. 
you catch a team like that a little bit off guard, a team that's a little bit talent poor, I don't think that's an unfair criticism of the Bears. And you have things primed for a one-sided game. Really going back further than that, you've got to go back to the Packers 41-17 beatdown in Week 17 of last season to really talk about a game where, where everything was firing for the Packers. Even that kind of game, the Vikings were pretty beat up in that one too. Put it this way, it's the first time the Packers have won consecutive games with Jordan Love as the starter. That's maybe really all the context that you need. And that leads us pretty neatly into the first of our three good things from this game. We're just recapping it like the game just ended, by the way. I know it's Friday. I know that recaps have been out, but it's it's Thanksgiving week. And I think we can add a little bit more with the context that we've had to to prep a different kind of post-game podcast than we'd offer you right after the game anyway. So we're just going to recap as though we're doing it on Thursday just with the added context of, of having a little bit more information about what actually went on in the game. And I think that's going to show up in a big way when we talk about the rookies in this episode. But the good things. Jordan Love was a pretty darn good thing in this one. There are going to be questions about Jordan Love for a long time. The first play of the game showed us some of the good and the bad. The good was that he aggressively went after Matt LaFleur and said, this is how I want to open the game. This is a play that I think can work for us. And it worked. The bad is that it was a 53-yard completion, but it could have been a touchdown if Jordan Love gets a little bit more on that pass. And I think it's fair to wonder at this point if he can get more on that pass. Christian Watson maybe coasts into the end zone in the way that he should have in week one of the 2022 season. But that, I mean, that small, small nitpicking aside, no caveats, this was his best game. He looked poised, he looked confident, he looked dangerous. The poise there is telling Matt LaFleur what he wants. I am the guy that's on the field making the throws, making the calls, making the adjustments at the line. Here's what I want from you, the play caller. Here's what I need. Here's what can work for me. That is a pretty good encapsulation of poise for a quarterback, if you ask me. They were saying it on the broadcast during the game that he looks like a different quarterback than a month ago. I have a hard time disagreeing with that. He just looks like a different player when he's in the pocket. He looks confident. He looks like he's trusting what he's seeing in front of him. And I think most importantly, he looks like he's not thinking as much anymore. There are times when maybe he should think a little bit more. Sometimes when the clock in his head isn't quite going off, when maybe he's not sensing pressure as well as he could. But I think the best version of Jordan Love is a guy who's just reacting. We talked about basically jazz player Jordan Love earlier this year, this guy who just needs to feel out the game a little bit, to have things in front of him and feel like he can see what's going on and react from there. Deep shots aside, I think we are seeing now for a few weeks in a row that he does have the arm talent to make every throw within 20 to 25 yards for sure, we should probably have a conversation about what it would look like to have a quarterback with those kind of that kind of skill set for the next decade. You know, can you build around a guy like who's who's never going to have maybe a a super reliable deep ball who may not have just the gigantic arm of a lot of elite quarterbacks? But he proved against the Lions, and I think in a, in a couple of situations the past few weeks that he can hit all of the throws within that short to intermediate range. He can do it on the move. He can do it going left. He can do it going right. 
that is the different quarterback we're seeing in Jordan Love from earlier this year when he couldn't seem to hit anything with any kind of consistency. The game is opening up for him, and it helps that a lot of other guys are playing better too. And we'll talk about that when we get to one of our other good elements here of the game. But his confidence looks different too. The touchdown throw to Jaden Reed is a good example of that. Dusty Evely did a great breakdown of it on his YouTube channel about how actually it probably looked a little bit more impressive than it needed to with possibly Christian Watson running the wrong route that put him in a position where, or maybe he shouldn't have been, forcing Jordan Love to thread the needle kind of unintentionally. But still, even if that play works as it's supposed to, and he's hitting Jaden Reed on a slant there, it's the exact kind of confidence throw that you're looking for from a young quarterback. Because if Jaden Reed is running a short slant there, he needs to be confident in a lot of things. First, he's got to be confident in his read. It's a short route, so there's not going to be a lot of margin for error. If you miss, you're going to miss pretty big here, and it could end up sailing over his head into the arms of a defender. Or you miss it all left or right, it's going to go right to somebody too. It's got to be fast, a three-step drop, and the ball's got to be coming out. And you have to have the arm to fit it in what's going to be a pretty small window, even if the defense breaks your way. There just isn't a lot of room for error there. And with Christian Watson... Again, apparently, making it harder than it needed to be, it looks all the more impressive. But even even without that, the ball's coming out, and it's coming out in a hurry, which is something that I think has been a problem for Love at times this year. Sometimes he wants to, well, like a lot of young quarterbacks, I think he wants to be absolutely sure in what he sees before he throws the ball. And at the NFL level, that means that windows are closing by the time that you're releasing the ball rather than opening up as you're starting to release them. You've got to be throwing into opening windows rather than closing windows. It just stacks the odds in your favor, and that is a a good example of that. And then the dangerous thing about Jordan Love, dangerous in a good way. He showed in this game that there are multiple ways that he can beat you. And that read option pull late in the game on a third and one, I think, exemplifies that perfectly. It was a a situational play where the Packers had a call on that could have gone a couple different ways. Jordan Love pulls it, and he makes the Lions pay for ignoring him as a runner. And he rips off 36 yards or 37 yards, whatever it was, puts the Packers in position to put the game away. Love just beating the Lions there. That play in that scenario is one guy beating the other guys. It's him beating them with his brain and his legs and Matt LaFleur helping out with the play call there. That's a dangerous player, and that's somebody that you can use in a variety of ways. Incidentally, that is the longest run by a Packers quarterback since Brett Favre went for 40 yards all the way back in 1995, so nearly 30 years since we've seen a quarterback for the Packers run that far. Not too shabby for Jordan Love there. Rashawn Gary next on our list. Three sacks, two forced fumbles, second three-sack game of the season. You don't have to put too much more analysis on this, but it's amazing and satisfying to see it come on the field field where he tore his ACL a little more than a year ago. Fantastic game for Rashawn Gary. This is what a dominant pass rush performance look like. looks like. You start assuming that he's going to get to the quarterback on a given play rather than wondering if or when he's going to get to the quarterback. Rashawn Gary, 
Again, I feel like I've said it a lot over the past two and a half years or so. I'm glad he's on our side. Finally, Christian Watson. I feel like he merited special mention among a good game overall for the Packers pass catchers because of basically how he did it. I think this was his best game easily. You look at it any any of multiple ways. 94 yards are his most since week 18 of last year. Uh, five catches are a season high. He may actually have missed two more touchdowns than the one that he scored. The first play of the game, I think, was probably a touchdown if it gets delivered on time on target. If you want to ding love for something on Thursday, that's it. Not a lot there, though. Really, don't read too much into that. It could just be that Christian Watson is that fast and he was not able to get the ball out where it should have been. Late in the game, though, Christian Watson was running free in the secondary on a deep post, it looked like, and Jordan Love came up short again as he kind of just chucked it downfield in the face of pressure. Nobody's fault there. It just kind of is what happened. Sometimes the defense has a good call on for the play that you have on. However, had Love been able to get another half second of protection, that may have been Watson's second touchdown of the game. But to me, you talk about Jordan Love being dangerous. This is a little bit of what Christian Watson being dangerous looks like. Look at his touchdown that he scored. How he scored the touchdown was as important to me as the fact that he scored it. It's a slot fade. So he's running a route specifically designed to take advantage of two different parts of his athleticism, his size and his ability to go vertical. We know that Watson is fast and he can run fast in a straight line, but what he has struggled with this year is the contested catch. The Packers put him in a position where he was going to have to make a contested catch essentially with that route. He did it and he made it look easy. That is a, if you want to talk about redeeming moments, that is one for Christian Watson. And it's satisfying to see him get to that point after a year where there have been, it's been nothing but questions. And most of the questions have been some version of why is Christian Watson not playing well? He played well today and produced for the Packers in a big way. Now, I don't want to spend too long on the bad stuff. There were three, I'm forcing three things into this category just for symmetry's sake. The first is the run defense. The Lions really had no trouble moving the ball on the ground. 31 carries for 140 yards. Their top two backs, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, averaged a very healthy 4.8 and change yards per carry. If not for Jared Goff fumbling for every every chance he got, the ground game would have been a real problem for the Packers in this one. Still, if your pass game is firing the way the Packers was and the Lions just isn't really doing all that much, you're going to be able to live with teams running the ball even at that clip. It's just that the Packers haven't always had the complementary aspects of that. Their pass defense playing well and their uh, their offense putting up points to make the run game kind of irrelevant. That is kind of the rub on even a very good running game. It's easy to make even a solid running game feel irrelevant or actually functionally be irrelevant by just things out of your control not going your way. Even if you're moving the ball well, if the other team is putting up points in big chunks and quickly through the air or wherever, if you if it still takes you a long time to move the ball down the field, you're in a losing proposition regardless. You might be having a successful day on the ground. 4.8 yards per carry is a great day. Any coach in the league would take 4.8 yards per carry, especially when you're not ripping off big chunks, and I don't think the Lions really were. But it kind of renders your ground game irrelevant if you just need to catch up like the Lions did 
and it was just too little too late by the time they did manage to get back into the game. Second negative point today was Anders Carlson. We are in a bit of a a rough Anders stretch of the season. He's missed four of his last 10 kicks between PATs and field goals. Two field goals, two extra points. Some caveats to those misses, of course. Thursday's miss came from 63 yards. Last week's miss, field goal miss, that is, came from, well, a longer distance than it was supposed to be because of a sack. One of the extra points was missed outright. That was his one against the the Lions, but the other one was blocked thanks to a, a bit of a sleep at the stick moment from Josiah Degora. So I don't I don't mention this because I think Carlson is doing particularly bad, but kicking is the ultimate results-based business. And I think this is a trend, maybe not a trend if it's not his fault. It's a situation worth monitoring because I think it's important to see how he responds to this. Even if you are a mentally strong player who is confident in his ability to make kicks, there has to be some aspect of this game that bothers you when you don't see the ball going through the uprights. Whether it's not whether it's your fault or not, it didn't go in, and it's your job to put it in. Can Carlson rebound from this stretch and be solid the rest of the season, even if his misses were not his fault? That is the question. The answer will, of course, be determined over the next few weeks. Finally, This is not so much a bad point as just a a big, weird question mark. What is going on with the guard and tackle rotation? I know the coaches talk about it. I'm not satisfied with any of their answers. Start at guard. Is John Runyon your guy or not? Is this an extended tryout for Sean Ryan? If it is, what more do you need to see? He's played 34 snaps over the past four games, 15 against the Rams, not against the Steelers six against the Chargers, and 13 against the Lions. That seems like a pretty good evaluation period. That's basically a preseason worth of of tryout stuff for Sean Ryan, considering how limited reps are in the preseason. If it's not an extended tryout for Ryan, what are you doing? Why mess around so much? What are are you hoping to accomplish by shifting things around so much? And what, what do you need to see that you haven't seen already that would convince you one way or another that you've got your guard situation figured out. Meanwhile, at tackle on Thursday, Rasheed Walker plays 29 snaps. Yash Nyman plays 27 snaps. We're almost like a basketball team at this point. You've got three guys that are going to be out there virtually the entire game. Well, just if it was in football, it's going to be the whole game. In basketball, it'd be virtually the whole game. You'd have them playing like 40 minutes or something like that. And then you've got other guys that are subbing in and rotating around them. You get into your 8-10 man rotation, whatever it is. Is that how we're handling the offensive line now? It's like we're a basketball team. It, it's weird, and I'm not sure it's getting the Packers any closer to answers. It doesn't seem like they're setting themselves up in a framework where they're going to be able to get answers. Or, frankly, it's not even clear what answers they're looking for at this point. I don't know. It's a confusing situation, and I hope they just settle things down here because... The big takeaway from this game, I think, other than things going well for the Packers, is that they are not dead yet. It's going to be a tough go to get to the playoffs. I think that is, I don't think that's out of line to point out. If the Packers go four and two the rest of the way, they're still only at nine and eight. But looking at their last six games on the schedule, well, they've got the Chiefs next week. 
on Sunday night football. They've got the Giants the week after on Monday night football. Then it's the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears. Now, if they've got to go four and two, if they've got to get to nine and eight, I think there's four winnable games on the remainder of that schedule. They should beat the Giants, the Panthers, and I would say even the Bears. They can probably beat the Vikings. It's probably going to be a toss-up, but I think they can probably beat the Vikings in there. The Chiefs are going to be a problem next week. The Buccaneers may be less of a problem, but they maybe they're in the, that toss-up there category too. Four wins is possible. Maybe not likely, but it is possible. And, you know, not to be too much of a Debbie Downer, it's why early season losses like the, the loss to the Falcons really sting. It's a game the Packers should have had. Throw the Raiders and the Broncos in there too. It could change the complexion of their season. Yes, I know that making the playoffs is not necessarily the goal here, even if the Packers would happen to make the playoffs. Nobody's really expecting them to go on any kind of a run. They would have to get, you know, white-hot nuclear center of the sun hot to make any kind of run, given, I think, the talent level of this team relative to others in the NFC. But we're talking about a situation where here on the last full week of November, the Packers are not out of the playoff conversation and are very much, in fact, in the playoff conversation here. Those sorts of early season games become, well, they become more painful in retrospect. Just looking at what's coming up, the Week 17 game, if the Packers are still in it at that point, is going to be huge. I love the scheduling change a few week, years back now where they have the divisional games in Week 17 and 18 or the final two weeks of the season back when we only had a 17-game schedule. It makes things so much more intense. Playing in Minnesota on the last game or a last day of 2023 is going to be exciting. Uh, we're, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully the Packers are in a position where we might be talking playoffs still at that point. Maybe we can have another version of what the Packers did to the Vikings late in the season last year, another big beatdown when they need it to keep things alive for the final week of the season. In terms of what comes next, we got the Chiefs on Sunday night football. Like I said, they're in Green Bay. That would have been another great test back-to-back if the Packers had to play in Detroit on Thanksgiving and then go to Kansas City to play in the Chiefs stadium. That would have been an exciting test, but we'll see what the Packers can cook up against the Chiefs at home. Going to be exciting. Sunday night football now with uh, maybe a little buzz building around the Packers. Everybody gets a look at them at home. Let's see it again. Do it again on primetime. Then we really start to get things rolling. Maybe the Packers are 500 heading into their final five games of the season. Rookie watch. Let's take a quick look through the rookie class. This is getting to be a long list because we had a couple new rookies on the field in this game. Lucas Van Ness, first out of the gate today, three tackles, one tackle for loss. His tackle for loss actually came on a nice backside pursuit on the Lions' fake punt. We saw at least one more hand-down pass rush this week. Ran a stunt on that where he looped inside. He was on the field more this week than he's been recently. 28 snaps, the most since week four. Luke Musgrave, of course, was out with his lacerated kidney. Look, I should stop saying that. It gives me goosebumps every time I say it out loud. Jaden Reed, I continue to enjoy the Jaden Reed experience. Uh, Third consecutive game with at least four catches. 
having one of the better rookie seasons we've seen from a receiver in a long time. So he just continues to be great week in and week out. Have no complaints about Jaden Reed. Tucker Craft gets his first career touchdown. A thing of beauty there. Well-designed play. Two catches for 15 yards on the day. Not too shabby for Mr. Craft. More playtime for Colby Wood. No stats, but 22 snaps, the most he's played since week two. Sean Clifford, unfortunately for him, still a DNP. But, Sean, that is exactly where we want you. Keep it up. Good stuff. Uh, Dontavian Wicks out with a concussion. Um, Unfortunate that we couldn't see him again. He's really been building towards something recently. Hopefully he can be back in the field for Sunday night football because I think the Packers are going to need all the help they can get against the Chiefs. Value picks. You start talking about value that the Packers got in the 2023 draft. Carl Brooks, another stat line stuffing performance. Two tackles, a quarterback hit, and a forced fumble. 30 snaps for him, the second most he's played in a game this year. Great work again. We've talked about Anders Carlson. Again, rough period for him. Let's see how he responds. Incidentally, I think I might have preferred to let him try the field, the free kick than the field goal the Packers ended up having him go for. You got no rush. He could take a bigger run up. Plus, it would have just been fun to see. I think, you know, given a chance to just really lean into it, it would have been a long poke, but it, I'd try it. Let's try some different stuff. Um, even even so, it would have been cool to see him make a 63-yarder, but uh, the, the free kick after a punt, um, rare, rare play in football. Uh, maybe I, that's just my historian bias as someone who likes that kind of, you know, weird nugget. But um, it would have been fun to see him try it. Uh, on the defensive side of things, Carrington Valentine, of note his playing time, sure he had four tackles, but he played 100% of the snaps on defense for the fourth consecutive game. He is a core member, I think, of the Packers' defense at this point, as is Anthony Johnson Jr., who also hit 100% of snaps for the second consecutive week. Now to the undrafted free agent portion of the uh, rookie review. Malik Heath, four catches for 46 yards, starting to look like the guy that we saw in preseason. Big-bodied guys, nice to have. Uh, I think uh, Matt LaFleur might have a point there on that one, and Heath really working his way through a rough start to this season. Seems to be well ahead of Samori Ture at this point. Interesting, uh, Bo Melton also got two snaps in this game, up off the practice squad. No catches, but uh, two snaps for Mr. Melton. Emmanuel Wilson, a DNP with a shoulder injury. Brenton Cox played four snaps on special teams, recorded no stats. Ben Sims played 14 snaps on offense and nine on special teams as his role continues to grow. Speaking of tight ends, how about a guy who might be referred to as a tight end sometimes, but is actually officially listed as a fullback on the Packers roster, Henry Pearson. His first NFL game uh, against the Lions had some key work on the fake punt, Uh, forced the ball carrier back inside by holding up at the point of attack. Lucas Van Ness comes from the backside to make the play. Pearson ends up playing two snaps uh, on offense and four on special teams. And again, to circle back to the nugget on him being a fullback, as far as I can tell, he is the first player the Packers officially list as a fullback to appear in a game since Danny Vitale did it in 2019. Caillou Blue Kelly also made his first appearance for the Packers, playing one snap on defense and four on special teams. And Benny Sapp made his first NFL appearance as well, recording two snaps on defense, six on special teams, and making a tackle all by himself as well. 
let's clear out the notebook, then get you on your way into the weekend uh, on this Black Friday. Uniform stuff, I could do without the Lions throwbacks. I, I know that they like to wear them on Thanksgiving. There are more interesting throwbacks in the Lions historical closet than those. I say, if you're going to wear throwbacks, why not bring back their all-black Calvin Johnson era throwbacks? It's been long enough that those count as throwbacks. Let's bring those out on Thanksgiving. Just as an aside, I enjoyed the John Madden patch. I, too, am fully on board with the conspiracy theory of depriving Jordan Love of his, you know, rightly earned turducken leg. Really a shame. Um, I think we should do something about that. Get him a turkey leg. Do something about it. They've got them at the grocery store just down the street from me. I am tempted by them every time I walk in. Maybe maybe what I need to do is right that wrong myself and buy a turkey leg and throw it on the grill. I think this is how we sell that to Mrs. Blue 58, who would say there's no reason that we need to buy a giant turkey leg, and I would say that it's justice for Jordan Love. Just some thoughts. Patrick Taylor deserves a special shout-out in this game. After a month with the Patriots, he's back with the Packers. We talked about him a little bit in the preview. He played actually a season-high 41 total snaps, 27 on offense, 14 on special teams, ends up with three carries for 11 yards, a catch for four yards, and a tackle on special teams for good measure. You know, there's the big, obviously great games, but this is the kind of performance that makes me say, you know, really appreciate the work that goes in behind the scenes and say what a game this guy had, even if he you know didn't have a statistically wonderful performance. Just playing a lot of reps, just being back in Green Bay for a couple of days in a situation where the Packers desperately needed him, hats off to him. What a performance there. Speaking of, of good performances, I think we'll end with this one. Kenny Clark, eight pressures on the day, right when I talk about him maybe having one of his less spectacular seasons. He shows up and puts together a pretty big performance rushing Jared Goff. A big reason that Rashawn Gary had success coming around the outside is that Kenny Clark was coming up the middle. I think he he fits pretty comfortably into the maybe aging star category at this point. Maybe week to week he isn't what he once was, but in the right circumstances he can really beat up on some people. And I recall one particular pass rush where he forklifted the Lions right guard basically right into Jared Goff's lap. It was a, a sight to behold and still a good reminder of what Kenny Clark is still capable of doing. Man, exciting, exciting game. I don't know what the Packers are going to become yet this year. If you are still of the mindset that you want to write them off or that this season doesn't matter, that's fine. I think you got plenty of ammunition there. But if you want to just ride this this out, get as excited as you want to be, open yourself up to getting let down, more power to you. There's really no reason to, you know, not go all in. Let's, you know, let's just get excited. There's plenty to be down about out in the world. Why not let yourself believe a little bit about what the Packers are capable of doing? And as we say a lot in in situations like this, it's all in front of them. They've got a tough game against the Chiefs next week, but then they're basically through what we would talk about as being the tough portion of their schedule. Five games where they're going to be expected to be in it, you know, every week and plenty of opportunities for the Packers to show even now in the early portions of this, I don't know, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, this time when they're becoming something after Aaron Rodgers, getting a glimpse of maybe what they can become, 
that's where we're at, and that's a pretty exciting place to be. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.